If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 471. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com, BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support, or learn true T-R-U-E, learn true history.com. That is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. All those places are great, great ways to support the show. McClanahan Academy is awesome. I've got a new class out, my originalist paper series. Part three is out. If you're on my email list, you know about it. You're getting the coupons. If you're at McClanahan Academy, you've known about it since last week. You're getting the coupons. Get the coupons. Buy the classes. You get stuff for it, and you support this show. It's a win-win. Also, don't forget to click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Send me your show request. Rate my podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally, acting locally. All right, so this is the Think Locally, Act Locally episode, and actually a listener generated episode. And I want to get to an article that was written by J. Robert Smith at AmericanThinker.com titled, Can Radical Federalism Save America? So we're going to start this week with a discussion of federalism. We've got another couple of uh, interesting topics this week on this theme, right? So we're going to talk about nationalism and federalism. I mean, look, this is the real issue, I think, of the 21st century. I've said it before, I've been saying it for years. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that the real issue moving forward in America, no matter, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me all these Claremont people, all these neocons are starting to figure this out. It's always been there because what the left has done is, is take their rightful position of Lincolnian nationalism. Look, this is theirs. The left is, the right has tried to say, oh, this is Link, Lincoln's conservative. No, he never has been. Lincoln's never been a conservative. He never was advancing a conservative America. So what they've done is taken that now, and uh, they've used it to advance their agenda. So now conservatives are starting to say, the, the neocons, the Straussians, oh, wait a second here. Uh, maybe we had, maybe there's something to this federalism stuff. Yeah, maybe there was. Maybe there was something to these things that Lincoln crushed for four years. I mean, look, if we could just divorce, if the conservatives could divorce themselves from Abraham Lincoln, it would be the greatest day in American conservative history. If somehow we could exercise that demon, Abraham Lincoln, as conservative, it would change the way we think about American conservatism. Because with that would then come exercising the neocons and the Straussians. All those people would be booted aside and they could just do their own thing, whatever whatever they want to try to call it. They could just all be Biden Republicans, right? This could happen. So I want to talk about this piece, and we'll get into nationalism. We'll talk about that. 
I'm actually going to cover this week uh, Michael Lind again. Somebody asked me about his most recent book, and I'm going to go back to the 90s for Michael Lind. I'm going to talk about 1990s Michael Lind. We're going to talk about the radical Hamilton this week, and we're going to get into Nicole Hannah-Jones and the uh, University of North Carolina awarding her tenure. I'm going to talk about American journalism. So that's what's up for this week. We've got those issues. But I want to start with this radical federalism, whatever that means, right? What is radical federalism? That term itself is a loaded term. There's no radical federalism. I mean, there's just federalism. But you see, to the Lincolnian nationalists, anything that deviates from that, now I know he gets into a little more thing, a little more nuance here where he talks about counties and cities. That to him would be more radical. Now, I've talked about thinking, look, you you want to save your community? Well, then get involved in local politics. If that's really what you're about, if you really are interested in the political as a panacea for saving America, if the political is your aim, then get involved in local politics because you are only going to be able to do it there. The center is never going to happen. And even J. Robert Smith is confused at one point in this piece. But this piece is based on another by Angelo Cotavia, who was uh, a senior fellow at Claremont. I mean, look, the Claremont people are coming around to this idea of, well, we got to rethink America um, because we're losing. And so maybe we can, we can talk about decentralization or radical decentralization or radical federalism. But, I mean, what is that? Again, there's no such thing as radical federalism. There's just federalism. All right, so let's talk about this piece. Eminent conservative thinker Angelo Cotavia had an article titled To Rescue a Nation Last Week at the American Mind that's very much worth reading. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. There are some things in it that I just completely disagree with, but... Smith is going to get into some of the highlights here, so that's why I'm doing this instead of reading Cotevilla. To save the Republic means ending the escalating tensions and conflicts precipitated by growing divisions. A radical approach is necessary. Not really radical. It's American traditional. In fact, uh, you would say, I think you could argue that what the Claremont people and what all these people have been doing for years is the radical position. Lincoln as conservative was a radical and frankly stupid idea. Harry Jaffa destroyed American conservatism with that. Destroyed it. The Straussians, of course, ran with it. The neoconservatives, it fits their agenda too because they're interested, as this piece talks about, in power. And Lincolnian nationalism is about power. It's always been about power. It will never be anything but about power. To allow divergent peoples to peacefully coexist and find some commonality for purpose so the nation may survive, differences must be accepted and governance made to conform to that reality. To achieve that good result, Cotevilla asserts that we need a radical decentralization, or as might be said, a radical federalization of the nation. It's the remedy for saving the country from disunion or a tyranny. But is this worthy goal achievable? Hmm. So, I, I did a, an episode, and I'd have to go back and find the number, but I did an episode years, years ago. Why are Americans so angry? And I've talked about it since. Americans are angry because of Lincolnian nationalism. They're angry because of centralization. 
That's what they're angry about. They're angry because they know that one-size-fits-all government doesn't work, whether you're on the left or the right. But see, this is what Lincoln created in 1865. It's what the radical Republicans foisted on America during Reconstruction. It's what every president of the 20th century has run with since Teddy Roosevelt. And it's completely destructive. When we get into Michael Lind, I'm going to talk about a book that he wrote in 1995 where he is a fervent nationalist. I know in May I did a, a podcast on Lind, Yankee Revenge, which it was a very good piece. There were some things in there that I had a problem with. But, uh, see, the problem is you cannot save America with a national vision. It's not going to work. It can't happen. It can't happen because the left has gone too far in a direction and there's no turning back. They open the Pandora's box and that box can't be closed and you're not going to corral them. The left is bent on destroying everything. And they always will be. So you got to give them something. Give them California. Give them Oregon. Give them Washington State. Give them something. Give them Massachusetts, Connecticut. Let's have the rest of us live in real America. Percotevia's radical decentralization prescription ventures beyond reducing the national government's powers and devolving powers to the states, where, per the Constitution, many should have always resided, but granting far greater autonomy to jurisdictions within states, meaning counties and cities. Look, I'm 100% on board with that. And this is not necessarily hostile to federalism. And I've pointed out before, even in colonial Virginia, you had instances where the counties resisted decrees from the center. They did it all the time. And it comes down to your sheriffs and other people enforcing laws. You see, a law has no effect if it's not enforced. Now, you've got the neocons and you've got the Lincolnian nationalists on one side saying, if there's one person that opposes this kind of stuff, I'm going to send in the army to kill them, to kill everyone else, to save that one person. Send in the army to kill everybody else. We're going to do it. There's one person that opposes this decentralization. We're going to send in the army to make sure that one person is protected. This is Bill Bennett. These are these morons that run around out there masquerading as conservatives. See, the, the fact is, as Smith points out, the states have always had these powers. The problem is they're addicted to federal cash. The problem is the general government uses that cash as a carrot to get them to do things. Or sometimes as a stick. You want your highway funds? Well, then you got to go along with this. You know, we're seeing that now as uh, some things are dangled in front of the states. One thing, there's a new proposal in this infrastructure bill to mandate to get rid of basically get rid of local zoning ordinances. So you can't have a residential area that doesn't invite uh, apartments. And then these part apartments would then be uh, Section 8 or HUD apartments. So what you're doing, if, if the states don't agree to this in the localities, you're going to not get your HUD money, right? So then you're not going to get federal money for housing and urban development, which the states want. Well, the states should just say, fine, keep it. We're not going to go along with what you're saying. See, the real issue here is states not standing up and being states make America states again. If we had that situation, there would be no problems because the states would do whatever they want and they would tell the general government to shove it. And Cotevilla actually points that out in his piece, and I'll get to that in a minute. The nation is diverse within states. Red and blue Americans, or using Cotevilla terms, Republican and woke Americans, aren't strictly segregated into red and blue states, though continuing migrations from both from blue to red states are sharpening distinctions. 
to reduce conflict, to gain the tranquility and harmony necessary for the nation to adhere, prosper, and provide for the common defense, there has to be a multiplicity of jurisdictions that grant like peoples the autonomy to govern themselves in better alignment with their values and principles. Well, I mean, this is true. I think the states are even too big. I mean, I've argued that. The states are too big. They should be decentralized. Because that would better reflect the cultures of America. And but you see, to people like Michael Lynn, we'll talk about this, that that recognition of separate nations in America is dangerous to the nationalist approach. We're tempted to say that Cotevilla's vision aligns the nation more closely with its inception, with the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, at least in that spirit. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It aligns the... We don't have a nation, number one. It aligns the Union more in line with the original Constitution. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. This is why I created, and I have been creating, a three-part class on originalism. This is exactly what it is. Originalism. Because what you find in originalism is one core thing. The states have all the powers not expressly delegated to the central authority. That's it. So it doesn't matter what issue is it. If it's not commerce or defense, the states do it. And when I say commerce, I mean interstate commerce and international commerce. If it's not those things, the states do it. If it's not defending the United States from a foreign attack, or even if it's an insurrection, but with the permission from the states, the states do it. You see, the states created the center. Because they created the center, as John Dickinson points out in his letters of Fabius, the sovereign states created the center, and the Senate represented the sovereign states. I mean, look, those, which is in part three, I get into letters of Fabius. They're so good. John Dickinson's letters of Fabius, so good. But this is the point. I mean, it's not the Articles of Confederation. It's the original federal republic as under the Constitution, even under the Articles. I mean, the Constitution was supposed to maintain that federal republic. A looser federation of states and enhanced localities with Washington more focused on core functions, national defense being preeminent, would boost chances of the United States continuing as one nation. No, no, as a union, a federal republic. I mean, this is the whole point. See, people are so confused about these terms now because we've gotten so much Lincolnian nationalist rhetoric thrown into everything. They don't even know what these terms mean anymore. They're so confused about it. It's sad, really. It's sad. But there's a sticking point, and it isn't trifling. In fact, for the nation's elites, the oligarchs, Cotabilla uses the descriptor too, and the left, radical decentralization is precisely what they oppose. Whereas Republican America would, and portions of woke America may, welcome a significant decentralization, which amounts to a policy of live and let live, a radical centralization of the nation is what oligarchs and the left seek. Well, I agree. It's about power more than anything else. It's about power. And see... Smith actually suggests that Donald Trump is not interested in that. But Donald Trump was. I mean, you look at most of what Trump did as president, it was about centralizing America under the banner of uh, quote-unquote conservatism, whatever that means. This is why the left was so angry, even though they blocked a lot of the stuff. But, I mean, that's what the point is. The oligarchs do so principally for power that leads to wealth. The left, which holds to Marxism, lusts for power and seeks wealth, but also craves control over lives. Marxism, not judged by its blarney, but by its practice, demonstrates that it's all about hierarchy, concentrations of power and control, 
not of an authoritarian stripe, but a totalitarian one, as history makes abundantly clear. Now, I would differ here um, that the oligarchs also seek control over lives as well. These people are power-hungry, too. They just want to do it in a way that manipulates people. The left wants to do it. I mean, both want to do it for their own sick rationale. Today, these anti-liberty factions are playing a zero-sum game, and they've given no indications that they're willing to compromise or are open to realignments of government that thwart their aspirations. True. That's why it has to come from the bottom up. That's why you have to think locally and act locally. It's the only way it's going to work. You can't do it from the top down. Smith is advocating doing it from the top down. Could it be as cognizant that the oligarchs and left aren't interested in fellowship and fair accommodations? Republican America must wage defensive battles to dissuade these factions and induce their cooperation in radically federalizing America. Cotevilla offers the solution, to, the solution to achieve that end. Republican American success in SNP defensive battles should convince the oligarchy to limit its absolute power to the people who want to live under it. The persons whom the Republicans choose in successive elections will have substantial power to define the terms by which American tribes relate to one another. Maximum latitude for each and minimum interference with the other should be the guidelines. Affording maximum autonomy to each is essential to ensure peace among people who identify with civilizations at odds with each other. So, Cotevilla is saying, we've got to vote people into federal office, essentially. We, should, we, should, we have to vote people into federal office who are going to do this. Cotevilla asserts that Republican America needs to be a true national movement as a bulwark because the oligarchy possesses problems Nationwide, and can bring its whole force to bear against challenges at any point. Fighting it effectively requires marshalling the bulk of Republicans nationwide for common action. And of course, he's using Republicans. I'm, Republican America, um, he uses lowercase r and uppercase r. Again, I, I don't know which way he's, he's getting at here, but is he talking about old Republicanism, Jeffersonian Republicanism, or is he talking about something else? Or is this just a typo on Smith's paper? But regardless, we're talking about Republican with a lowercase r, uh, which is what Cotevilla uses. And then, of course, Smith's, I think this is a typo here, the, the capital R. Uh, but it is a quote from Cotevilla, so I'm not certain. I'd have to go back and look at the original piece. But you can't have this as a national movement. It can't be. Now, he's saying, well, if you try it at the local level, the oligarchs are going to come in and smash it. They can't, they can't do that. I mean, I do say, I will agree with this way. You have to have certain, you have to have brush fires pop up all over the place because they can't smash it if there's brush fires everywhere. So the whole point of this is to start thinking locally and acting locally. You can't do it um, if there's brush fires in every single part of the United States. Cotevilla identifies specific defensive battles which appear more offensive that are vital to forcing the oligarchs and left's cooperation, going after the tech giants' monopoly and cartel powers and their censorship, reining in corporations by enacting measures to protect employees from firings over politics or matters of conscience, and breaking the alliance between corporations and Democrats, reduced government financing of colleges and universities, which are the left's idea generators and indoctrination centers, and make these institutions responsible for their students' loan debts. And finally, tackling what Cotevilla calls the deadliest weapon in the war of annihilation being waged against our republic, 
Cotevilla refers here to the justice system, intelligence services, and military. He writes, since the persons who actually wield these powers have careers that transcend electoral cycles, whoever would lead the Republican nation can limit the harm they do by forcefully warning them that, sooner or later, a president will take office who, as the American Republic's vigorous partisan and unlike predecessors, will work terrible vengeance upon any and all persons who have served the oligarchy. Such leaders can show their seriousness by using whatever powers they may have to block funding for parts of the justice system, for the FBI and CIA, for certain of the armed forces' activities, and especially for contractors whom they judge to be excessively tied to the oligarchy. So again, what he's doing here is saying, we got to do this from the top down. It's never worked that way. It's never worked that way. The only effective change against the system that's ever happened in America has always been from the bottom up. It's always been the state standing up, one state, we, you see it with um, uh, drug legalization or decriminalization, I should say. One state does it, another state does it, another state does it, and guess what? The general government eventually says, I can't control this anymore. They can't do it anymore. So it ha- every time a state actually asserts its powers, the general government is shown to have no clothes. It can't do anything. Cotevilla says that to rally and lead a national movement, a galvanizing figure must emerge. So what do you, I mean, this is ridiculous. Again, we're, we need a Lincoln, right? We need another Abraham Lincoln to come in and do this. These people, these Claremont people, these Straussians are so washed over with Lincolnian myth-making. They can't even get out of their own way. You don't need a superhero to come in. We don't need a tyrant because that's what you're talking about. What he just outlined in that paragraph before is a tyrant. All these other things, the left is not going to go for taking money away from colleges and universities. They're just going to try to cancel student loan debt, and then they're going to say all of it's free, and they're going to subsidize everything because they know that's how they win. What has to happen there, and I'm going to talk about this week with Nicole Hannah-Jones, what has to happen there is that people have to stop looking at colleges and universities as the be-all, end-all. There has to be something else. You have to create your own institutions. Now, I do agree. Tech giants are not trying to create your own institutions, trying to create your own social media, do these things, work outside of the tech giants. But you, the structure, the framework is there. It's like saying, um, you know, we got to work outside the telephone system years ago. Well, I mean, you got to use it, but eventually we created cell phones. That created a whole other thing, right? So you broke away from the monopoly on telephones by cell phones. And so there has to be something else there that people will come in. And social media has done that. And now you try to create new social media avenues for people to use. And people just go to them. Now, I do. Now, number two is interesting because firings over politics. Pol- political speech is the one area that's not protected by civil rights legislation. You can't discriminate against somebody on just about anything anymore in the workplace except for political speech. Unless it's left-wing political speech, then you can be protected for it. I mean, and we've seen that. You know, if you wear uh, a left-wing cause on a T-shirt, you're going to be protected because those are minorities. But if you wear a, a Trump something or other, or a Republican, capital R, or something silly, well, you're not protected for that. You can be fired for that. So one thing that has to happen, because politics has become a civil religion, and I think that's something that people have to start looking at this as. People, Americans don't go to church anymore, so politics have taken the place of that. And we've seen it over and over again. Because politics has become a civil or civic religion, then it needs to be protected just like any other speech. 
And once you do that, once you make that absolute, well then, okay. Um, people can say what they want. And then because you say it's political, you can, you can really protect free speech. Because what is being, all of this stuff we're talking about now, is, it really comes down to political speech that people are being harassed for. He doesn't appear to be keen on Trump because he believes Trump is too self-focused. Here we disagree. Trump has largely galvanized red or Republican America. As president, despite relentless hostilities, he accomplished for the nation. He drew large audiences in person and across mediums, including last Saturday night at Ohio rally. Yet the organization behind Trump has been in, uh, incoherent and most often ad hoc. Trump may be the general Washington Republican American needs. What he requires are able lieutenants who can effectively organize behind him. No. I mean, Smith says, no, we need a Trump. We need Trump to do this. No, we don't need Trump. Trump is a problem. Because I agree with Cotabia that Trump is more interested in Trump than anything else. We don't need the age of tyrants again. We saw this in Greece. We saw it in Greek history. The tyrants rescue from the oligarchy. This is what happened. I mean, see, what Smith doesn't understand is that he, we're, we're basically just reliving Greek history here. It's what's happening. Democracy got out of hand. The oligarchs took over because of democracy. The tyrants came in. They flattered people. They used those things to their advantage, and they created even more problems. So we don't need a strong leader. What we just need to do is rely on federalism. And in that, of course, you can have a Governor DeSantis. You can have people that are going to go out and do some things. Look, the states have more, uh, more powers in the center. And what I mean by that is the states can do more damage than the center ever could. We saw it during COVID. That's why you got to have people dedicated to republicanism at the state level as well. A critical consideration is that the oligarchs and left would offer robust counters to Republican America's defensive offenses. The stakes are sky high for them. We must grasp the nature of the enemy. Men and women bent on domination, and in many cases with years of sweat equity invested in achieving their aims, aren't going to be quickly deterred. They will fight and fight hard. As we saw during the Trump presidency, they have no compunction about using false accusations in illegality, rushing collusion hoax, destroying reputations, brazen disinformation, the January 6th insurrection, restoring to resorting to election chicanery, stoking public fear as a means of manipulation, COVID lockdowns, and lose and losing loosing, I'm sorry, Antifa and BLM to incite riots. Exposed in 2020 was the ugliness and, in fact, ruthlessness of anti-liberty factions. They can get uglier and more ruthless without a doubt. Well, certainly they can. We could have a French Revolution situation here in America. No question. They can get even more nasty. And I think that's coming at some point. Particularly if the left loses. They're going to try to do everything they can. Which isn't an argument against fully joining the fight and committing to nothing less than total victory. Republican America has plenty at stake, too. The rule of law and liberty. It's simply too... Uh, impart the understanding that in war, cold, hot, or somewhere in between, it's best to anticipate a greater intensity of conflict for a longer duration than decent people would hope, particularly when wars are civil in nature. The status quo is unsustainable. The question is, can Republican America win the day, ushering in a fundamental decentralization of the nation, thereby permitting divergent peoples to share one nation, bound by some traditions and some shared beliefs and aspirations? Perhaps. Or will this clash between very different worldviews lead to the permanent partition of America? Or will it boil down to a zero-sum game where, with one on the, or the other side prevailing? Much awaits future events. Now, um, he offers three scenarios here. Secession, 
maintaining the union, not the nation. We need to use the proper terms, the Federal Republic. That's what we really need to talk about. Or what we have here, one-size-fits-all destructive situation where whoever is in power is going to persecute the other. I mean, I think that's a possibility as well. I think it could get really bad. I mean, we've seen, we saw it in Rome, and I've mentioned on this podcast before. We are Rome. We're, we're getting into that kind of nastiness now. So, But you don't need one size fits all. You don't need Trump. You don't need a national effort to do this, quote-unquote, national effort. All you need is people at the ground getting involved in things and starting to make a difference. You see, local elections, can you can win those with just several dozen people. You can win it. And then you start changing things. And as the states gain a hold on this and they start doing things better and they start sticking their nose up at general the general government and saying, we're not going to take your cash, when they do those things, that's when you start seeing a real transformation in the United States. Now, there's the court system out there that can create all this. And this is why I talked about last week, Biden's extra legislative agenda, because that's essentially what you get. This is where the left wins, because they use the courts. That's where the states come in, and it's very difficult because you start talking about money and other things. But um, when Jackson replied, you know, John Marshall has made his decision, let him enforce it. Well, the courts can't really enforce anything, so people have to do it. What happens if the states stop enforcing these decisions? What are they going to do then? <clears throat> if you have people that won't arrest them, if you have people that won't do anything for not following the decree of a politically motivated bench, then, I mean, what's going to happen? I think this is where you start looking at people ignoring things. That's what it's going to have to come to. But anyways, I thought this piece was interesting. It was sent to me by a listener. So again, if you like the show and you want to hear me talk about something, here you go. Um, Radical, it's no radical. Federalism is the answer. It is the solution. The Jeffersonian tradition is the solution. That's why I wrote a book about it. Southern Scribblings is about that. It's what I've done. It's think locally, act locally. This is essentially what I've done now for nearly... Uh, we're, we're going. I'm going on, you know, 25 years of working with this stuff, and um, it's the only way forward. It's the only way forward. It's not radical. It's American, and I think that's what we need to talk about. It's American. Lincoln was radical, and I'm going to talk about that with Alexander Hamilton this week. I actually agree with the leftists on these things. You see, they point out the truth about some of this stuff. Sometimes the right is in a state of disbelief. They're in a state of, well, I mean, Lincoln's conservative. Hamilton's conservative. They weren't. There's a reason why Russell Kirk left him out of his conservative mind, because they were not conservative. And I'll talk about this, that this week. Okay. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you then.